Welcome to The Lightest Tread, the official podcast of Soul, where we speak to extraordinary and ordinary people who do ordinary and extraordinary things that are good for their bodies, good for the planet, and typify the soul of adventure. I'm your host, Paul Morn Brown, and my guest today is Dr. Morgan Brosnihan, DPT, which means she's a doctor of physical therapy. Starting in early spring, Morgan spends her summers living and working out of a big red van. Along with her golden retriever, Honey, she travels the Pacific Crest Trail, offering specialized support and treatment for hikers hiking the PCT, which Morgan herself completed in 2019. By combining her passion for thru-hiking and her love for the PCT in particular, with her professional and personal prerogative to help people overcome injury, she offers hikers a unique and invaluable service as they take on the incredible challenge of walking from Mexico to Canada across 2,600 miles of the United States. We talk about all things PCT preparation, Morgan's personal experience with the trail community, and her unique and fascinating insights on injury trends along the trail. You can find Morgan on Instagram at Blaze Physio, where she has loads of useful resources for thru-hikers. Listeners can get 10% off any full-price product at YourSoul.com by entering the code BLAZE10 at checkout. If you enjoy the episode, please do take a moment to like and subscribe. Enjoy. Listen up, folks, it's time for the lightest trip. All right, we're rolling with uh, Dr. Morgan Brosnihan. Brosnihan? Brosnihan? No, you got it first try. I got it. Awesome. <laughs> or or Blaze at Blaze Physio. Blaze is your trail name, right? So my trail name was actually Noodles, uh, but Noodles Physio was kind of weird. So I went with Blaze instead, and it has inadvertently okay. become my name. So now I just ah. introduce myself as Blaze usually. All right. Cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, as, as, uh, I wouldn't call myself a, a complete trail virgin because I have done trails, but I haven't done any, any of the major trails. Um, so the whole, uh, feel, I feel a little bit left out of the whole trail name club. You know, you don't, you don't get it. You don't earn a trail name in five days on the West coast of Vancouver Island. Um, I mean, if you do something memorable enough, sometimes you do. <laughs> maybe yeah all right just be better just be better in those yeah, just, five days is the just advice. be better <laughs> yeah straight up straight off the bat we got good advice um so it's great to meet you um tell me where you are right now literally i am in a storage closet at camp locket in campo california so uh this is right where the pct starts so i'm down here for couple weeks um just kind of surfing back and forth between here and julian before i start making the circuit between here and idlewild and just helping injured hikers or like early issues so people can start off on the right foot but the quietest place just so happens to be this storage closet <laughs> right um but you are you're there to sort of meet people right in the beginning as they're embarking on their journey what's what are you up to um, in general? Yeah, so just kind of meeting people, letting them know that this is available to them if they run into problems because, you know, you hope to never get an injury, but they can happen to anybody. And then when it happens, I hope that having already met them, that instead of having that panic moment of what do I do next, it's more like I got to get to town, I'll call Blaze, we'll get this figured out and we can kind of heed that anxiety before it starts and then work out a system and 
hopefully keep them moving along. Awesome. And so, I mean, perhaps we should dive straight into how you sort of function on the trail. I mean, do you you set up in specific locations? Well, we should mention, haven't mentioned that you that you live and work out of your van. <laughs> yes. Yep. So I have a uh, big red van. So it's obvious to hikers when I'm in town usually because the towns aren't very big and you can't miss the van. So that helps. And then, you know, I kind of word of mouth spreads. I post it in certain places so they know where to find me. Um, but I go basically town to town and sort of stay in the bubble. Um, I don't go to like campgrounds or right on trail because forest service land, that's not something you can do. And it's also not really where I'm needed. So when somebody gets hurt, they're not going to just lay in the woods for three days while they're injured. They're going to make their way to town. So Mm. that's where I meet them. And we've got, you know, varying levels of resources, depending on how big the town is but I try to go to the ones that have the most sparse resources. So if there's already mm. like a big area where there's going to be easy access to providers, that's not a town I would spend some time in because they can get help. And I would rather be somewhere where they get to town and there like might be one primary care doctor or like a hospital or something. And, you know, nothing that's really going to meet their needs as an extreme walker. <laughs> sure. And you offer physiotherapy, classic Mm -hmm. sort of, all right. Yeah. So as our profession has moved towards the doctorate, we have a lot more to do with diagnosing injuries and like managing them and not just like, oh, here's where you go get a crop of exercises. Like here's where you learn how to know what the problem is and what you can do to manage it and keep going. Awesome. And I guess that is ultimately everybody's goal is how do I get back on trail? Yes. It is the highest motivated group of people that I've ever worked with. Cause usually I'll see sure. people in the clinic and you know, you're just begging them to do the things because you're like, I promise you will feel better. You just mm. have to do these like exercises and, and kind of work for it. And then they come in week after week and admit to not doing them. And it's like, ah, mm. <laughs> It's a weird thing, hey? I mean, we're all, uh, I mean, you're probably not. I'm guilty of it. I've been guilty of it, of going mm-hmm. to physio. And it's like, there's something about about it that is harder. Than, I mean, obviously, it's harder. Than, it takes longer to do the sp- specific prescribed exercises than it takes to take your medicine or what, whatever it is <laughs> that a sort of a classic doctor might tell you to do. Um, but yeah, weird that that it's something that we fail fail to do something that can be pretty easy and straightforward in order to better position ourselves to move forward without the issue that we've encountered but that's awesome must be super rewarding for you to to work with people who are that much more motivated to take your advice and definitely it um i think being you know in the first decade of my career too it's very fortunate to have found this group of people because there is a bit of burnout in like the healthcare field. And some of that can come from not getting results from not getting people doing the stuff. Cause it's like almost every mm-hmm. time someone buys in and that's on us too. Like we have to sell it and make them understand mm-hmm. why it's important to do and be giving good, effective things, you know, arbitrary exercises are arbitrary exercises. So, you know, it takes both sides, but you know, when you are doing your best and people aren't, giving that second effort and you don't see the improvement because of that, then you can start to feel mm. like oh, this doesn't work. 
But then when you give this stuff to these highly motivated people and they get better in a few days, it's like, yeah, this does work. Makes you happy you went to school. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah, awesome. Um, And so you 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 hop from town to town along the trail and if someone has an issue do they call you up can they call you up and will you drive to where they are yeah usually distances are pretty big um so i'm guessing you can't get to anywhere yeah so i'll stay in the town i'm located like i don't usually drive from one town to the next town but i do telehealth if uh, people are in a different spot because there's huge overlap in the injuries that people are experiencing because they all have the same mechanism they're all walking is on end and through the same terrain and things like that. So, um, you know, telehealth can sometimes be tough for any random injury to really figure out what's going on. But with telehealth in this crowd, I will have sometimes treated that exact same injury on three other people in person that day and then do a telehealth call. Mm-hmm. So it's like very easy to dial it in in terms of being like, okay, do you feel this? Can you move this? And then get them a plan mm-hmm. as if I was in person. Um, sure. And then once, but when they're in town, I get a lot of like night before and morning of text because as soon as they get to town, they're only going to be there for like a day. So it looks like uh, I'll get a message that's, hey, Morgan, I'm a PCT hiker. XYZ is wrong. Are you in this town? And then I'll say yes. And then we'll figure out like, you know, where they're staying or some random place in town and meet. And then sometimes it's like the side of the road. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. But so it's, um, yeah, it immediately strikes me that um, you have a lot of sort of flexibility around what you do and you're really there. I mean, I'm imagining it is often in the evening or or the morning, people trying to sort of get some help after a day of hiking or before another day of hiking. Um, Mm -hmm. You're very much not living in a, a classic sort of I go in to work at at my practice and I see patients between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. or 5, whenever it might be, and and go home, Um, which I guess would have its own benefits. But something that struck me about your story is sort of the reason that you're doing what you're doing um, and how you got to be in the position that you are as a as a physio and as someone who has like a a real connection with um with the pct itself the pacific crest trail and the community there and i wonder if you could tell me a bit about sort of the history around that and how you got um yeah how, how it was that you came to be focusing your energies and your work exactly where you are yeah so i hiked the trail in 2019 And it was the best, It you know, was the worst at times and the best at times, like a classic through hike. And uh, I noticed along my hike, though, that a lot of people were dealing with injuries. And even I had an injury at one point, um, which, you know, I felt in I feel in hindsight was significant because, you know, my foot started hurting. I thought it was broken because it was a real sharp pain. And in that Mm. two days of, you know, hiking on that injury, I was sure my hike was over I went through all those emotions forgot everything I knew Mm. as a PT everything and just went to worst case scenario and then you know I got to town had a shower ate some food analyzed my foot with you know clear mind figured out what it was and it was actually a fairly simple injury and I was able to teach 
uh, one of my trail family members how to do what I needed for my foot, got new shoes, fix it totally better in like a day. So I kind of, I lived that injury experience, which I think in hindsight gives me some perspective to the anxiety levels of most of the people that are calling me. Um, Mm. And then I also noticed that, you know, other people who didn't have the privilege I had of being able to, you know, help myself who were going to these like small town providers and not that small town providers can't be awesome, but they're usually not providers that are seeing people doing this kind of extreme sport. Um, And Mm. so they don't always know what to tell them to do. They're not, a lot of times it's, they're met with explaining to the provider what the activity is. And at that point, you're already going to have an uphill battle because they're so daunted by the idea of walking 20 to 30 miles a day that their human reflex is to just tell you to stop because, mm. you know, that's mm. got to be the reason you're hurting. It can't be anything else and there can't be any other remedy but to just stop. And so a lot of people were having to, you know, end this big dream because their provider just didn't have that knowledge base to tell them some other options. And then other people too would just keep going because they're not going to stop. So they basically Mm -hmm. have received no advice and then they're Mm -hmm. moving forward without any helpful tips. So I saw that a fair amount. And then there was one hiker that I helped with her like shin pain. I tried to be kind of low key because I wasn't trying to work. That was like the whole point. I had just been in school for seven years and I worked like every day for eight months to save up for it. And then, uh, I didn't want to work while, <laughs> while I was hiking. So, yeah. but there was one friend of mine who had a shin issue and I was like, all right, I can't not help you. So I helped her with that. And then we ended, that was the last town I saw her actually for a few months and I ran into her further up trail and she, you know, let me know that, you know, that made a huge difference. She was able to keep going mm-hmm. and she really like thanked me and attributed a lot of her hike success to that intervention. And I was like, Oh, cool. And then that's when I think the seed was planted. And so it just took a few years to sort of let that seed grow and kind of keep edging away at the idea to get to what I currently do. But that I think was the root of it. Awesome. I think what's special, what it sounds to me like what what's special is those the opportunity to have that unique perspective. It's not a unique perspective, but in the context of being able to help people um, you really do get it. You you understand what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. And you have built these relationships with people on the trail. Um, and to be able to help someone with whom you've built some form of relationship, I don't know if you, if you knew that person before or not. Um, but yeah, I read somewhere something that, that you'd written. Um, well, I read on Instagram, it must have been. Um, about the community uh, around the PCT in particular. I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit um, about the community in general and why, whether there's something special about that community that made you want to be a a contributing member to it in sort of a longer term basis. Yeah. So I think everyone who does a through hike feels this sense of debt when you finish your hike because these people just come out of the woodwork. I mean, these are towns of 300 people and they're just doing everything for you you know coming out of nowhere hosting you giving you rides just just this unbelievable uh, kindness from strangers and so you feel this need when you finish hiking to like give that back like there's this 
just this karma you want to repay that almost like you didn't deserve that much kindness for that long when you're doing something that at its core is a huge privilege in the first place. It's really, it's really such a good side of humanity. And so, Mm. um, you know, in thinking of ways to, to repay that and kind of help this community, that's kind of why I wanted to do this, but then it, it just, I can't ever get ahead of it because I get out here and I'm, I'm helping these hikers and then the community is still taking care of me. <laughs> so I just, I'm always just blown away by it. It's such a good, like good begets more good is kind of what's happening. And like, I'll, I'll go meet a hiker at a trail angel's house where they're staying while they're injured. And, you know, that trail angel then invites me to dinner and then, then they kind of hear my story and then they go, well, you can park here. And then, uh, so now I have a place to safely park in that town for free. And then, you know, one, one trail angel had me, um, uh, house sit for her for like four days. I watched her, uh, chickens. So <laughs> it's just like these random things happen and the community just keeps being, it just keeps giving and I keep trying to give more. Technical difficulties. I lost you between invited for dinner and chickens, but I can kind of, I can, I can kind of fill in the blanks a little bit. Um, That's a great place to get lost in yeah. that story. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if you were feeding the chickens or slaughtering the chickens or what you were doing to the chickens, but <laughs> no, we didn't eat. We didn't eat the chickens for dinner. Okay, um, no. Sure. No, I got you know a lot of. Uh, a lot of people in these communities, I've had dinner at so many houses and, and that's mm. really lovely. And now this year being my second year, I'm excited to see these people again. Cause you know, the hikers change each year, but the community around it stays the same. And mm. so even coming back this year, seeing, you know, some of the similar or the familiar faces down at the Southern terminus, that's exciting to me. So it's like, I'm almost building my own trail community of these, these people who are fixtures and they were so, quick to take me in which is really wonderful mm. and so I like couldn't wait to get back to Southern California because I was looking so forward to seeing some of these people and uh you know awesome. once I get to Tehachapi I'll see the family that had the chickens so that yeah. I house I house sat for them for like four days and and they didn't need me to house it they just did it because they know I live in a van it was getting hot and they were like would you watch our chickens because nothing yeah. is basically entailed in watching chickens and so I had a house just for a few days <laughs> it, was, it was like such awesome. a nice reset and you know a few hikers I met that were injured ended up they were like you know anybody needs place to stay use your judgment they can stay here too so I was treating one guy for his uh, shin pain we decided he needed to take a week off and I said, do you need a house to stay in? I have that too. So, <laughs> you know, I went, saw him for his injury. Uh, we decided that I gave him a ride and he stayed in the house. So it was a very full service moment. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I guess also people, what you're doing is so cool and it's so valuable to so many people on on the trail that I'm sure... Um, you know, when you when you bring something of such value to a community, whether it's a geographical local community or to a broader community, people will always welcome that and and appreciate that and and um, reciprocate that. And yeah, that's what's the whole the whole um, 
PCT has this sort of aura around it in relation to those types of things. And one of the things that strikes me about it is that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people go about it or begin their journey um, picturing themselves on this like uniquely individual, solo, sort of romanticizing being just them in the wilderness Mm -hmm. Um, and I do wonder how many people go about it in that way and the experience that they have actually ends up being a fundamentally social human connection kind of experience. Um, definitely like you can't be alone. You can try and some people are more loners <laughs> and they'll like kind of by themselves, but the community will embrace you no matter how hard you try to steer clear of it. And I think that's, a lot of times the ones trying to avoid it are sometimes the people who kind of need it the most. And it's mm. almost like they soften up as they go. And then, you know, mm. you start to see that they've found their people and then uh, little trail fans form. And, and, you know, some people do generally like they bounce, like they don't stick with the same 10 people, the whole trail. Like you'll see some trail fans that form and they don't let go. They, they keep that same group the whole way through. And then other people that are more like trail fam drifters. So they'll have several trail families mm -hmm. throughout it. And I mean, there's just no, the community just seems to evolve to whatever each person needs. It's very much in that uh, the trail provides is the, the common saying. And it just, it's like kind of corny but it just keeps happening. So you just like, can't even deny it. Yeah. <laughs> at, at some point you're always having a, Oh yeah, that was a trail provides moment. <laughs> yeah. And so do you ever have people ask you like, uh, do you fancy walking with me for the next seven days to look after my feet or? <laughs> no, surprisingly. Um, but I think everyone knows that my, my co-pilot honey is uh, not apt to walk that far. So Okay, <laughs> and I'm not going anywhere without her so sure I don't know honey strikes me as uh well from the little I've seen of honey over the internet strikes me as a, a relatively adventurous four-footed friend I lost shit for a sec my uh what'd you say about my four-footed friend <laughs> that she's relatively adventurous she seems like she'd probably be pretty capable you would think <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> she's uh she's adaptable um but she's very lazy so she did go on a um we did it a two-nighter in washington last year and she did fine actually i didn't give her enough credit for how well she did handle that um and this year i'm going to try to build her up we might do a really slow hike of the tahoe rim trail in the fall um but we'll see i'm gonna just kind of deliberately hike with her this year and see if i think that she would like it and do well. And then if not, then we'll do something else. Cool. Um, so yeah, I guess I had bringing it back to the van. I mean, thinking about honey and <laughs> living in the van and being there with your dog and there's dog um, hair on everything. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask when you're actually treating people, are you, I mean, is there, do you have, are there any limitations to working out of a van rather than working in like a, a physical uh, practice? Um, not really in the nature of what I'm doing. So like if I was trying to take people through like a full rehab program, like a full workout, right. I wouldn't mm. have 
very much equipment to offer. Like there's not a bunch, I have like some changeable weights and bands, but those are just really for me, but Mm. it's not that kind of style of rehab. It's more so like acute injury management. And so the things I need for that, I'm easily able to have with me. So I have like tape and, you know, stuff for cupping and, Hopefully, eventually, the West Coast will allow PTs to do dry needling because that would be really a helpful intervention. But right now, we we aren't allowed in these three states, so um, so I don't do oh. that. But I know. Whoa! It's, is that is that is that like a PTs in specific can't do it, or no one can do it? Is it? It's uh, it's new to being added to our scope of practice, and so we don't have it. Each state functions as its own legislation. So you need like a state license in every place that you practice. So I just have Mm. a bunch of licenses, but Mm. the West coast has the highest concentration of acupuncturists. So they Mm. are very against the legislation that would let PTs do dry needling because it would, it would compete with them. So, and you know, I'm, I'm not deep in the argument on it. So I don't, feel passionately one way or the other i'm sure there's a point on both sides of the spectrum but i hope that someday we can do it because there are some like tendon issues that i would love to use it for but Hmm. for now cupping has some good um interventions i can use and it's like you know the kits is big so it's like very easily to keep that in my backpack so i can tote around everything i need awesome Yeah. yeah and so i guess it is for the most part I mean, yeah, I'm interested in, in diving into, now that we're sort of on, on the topic, diving into a little bit more detail around um, the injuries you do encounter. And uh, I seem to remember reading that there was a specific point in the trail at which you were noticing that injuries were starting to occur most often for hikers. Um, yeah. Yeah, so there's... I mean, pretty much every town has injuries, like in varying degrees. But what I noticed last year and what I'm interested to to kind of cross that data with this year is last year was a low snow year. And so everybody was pushing to go fast and try to beat fire season. So some of the injury trends, you know, some of them are directly related to beginner mistakes that are going to be unanimous each year or like terrain that's not going to change. Um, but some of them I think are related to that pace of a fire year. And then this year is a high snow year. So like people are taking zeros, they're going slower. They're inevitably staving off some of those injuries just by, you know, taking a little better care of themselves in the beginning. So I'm interested to see what the difference is in the injury rates in those towns. But there were some places like uh is always my go-to example because there's this long, long downhill in your fourth week. And by the fourth week, people have typically bumped up their mileage, their shoes are about done. They're all of a sudden doing a long downhill and then they hit the LA aqueduct, which is like this big, long, flat, dry section. So they're trying to go fast to get to the water source, super cruisy because it's flat and hot. So it really sets up this kind of perfect storm for shin issues. So the like the foot slapping motion is increased with downhills and with the flat and just up in the mileage and poor shoes. So like all those things, they're like very much the perfect storm. And so when I was in Tatchby, I, I just treated shin after shin after shin. And at a certain point I was just like, okay, what, why, why is this happening? And then whenever I broke down those factors, 
Um, I actually wrote an ebook about the first 800 miles because there was that town, which is the easiest to just quickly explain. But there was a lot of trends where it was like, okay, this town seems to have a really high incident of right foot pain. And this town has a lot of Achilles issues. And so it was like identifying what may be causing those and then just giving people those those tools so they can look at it and go, okay, well, what can I do to make sure that I get through this section without shit and pain? Wow. Fascinating. Um, and so do you, is your hope in the end to sort of map out the PCT from beginning to end? Like here's what to be careful of from, from in this section. Like you want to, you want to watch out for your, want to watch your right foot. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be pretty cool. Um, you know, I'm, I don't want to overly look for trends that aren't there. You know, I'm looking mm. for like mm. them to be pretty undeniable. So that way it doesn't um, feel like I'm just trying to create this, you know, sure. commercial injury situation when, you know, maybe sure, that's sure. not, not the case. Um, and so I think as, as trends keep developing in further sections, I'll write about them. And if there's a section that's unremarkable, I'll always just write this is unremarkable just to kind of keep the, the validity of the trends. So, you know, it's not just me pulling your leg, you know, and then uh, the other thing though, after the desert, so like the first 800 miles are the biggest, that's where people get the most injuries. And it's also the biggest drop off in terms of people continuing on trail. And mm. then they also have a lot of flipping and things that happen after that. It's pretty much the only section that most people are going to walk A to B without any real interruptions. So the trends are more apparent, but then like in a high snow year, a lot of people are going to flip flop. So the injuries may not correspond with any real trends. They may be more coincidental because some people will hit one section with 1500 miles under their belt where other people have 700 under their belt because of all the, flipping and skipping so that'll make a difference sorry sorry you have to explain the the technical terms here to, <laughs> to the yes. uninitiated yes so flipping and skipping those are um just terms and in, in basically strategies to do the trail right so like a straight through hike is walking from mexico straight to canada going mm. north or going south and just straight path. You don't jump around or do anything in years like a high snow year or last year with the fires, you can't do that. And realistically on the PCT, being able to walk a straight through is getting progressively less likely because of climate change, trail maintenance, all of those things, you know, there's going to be closures. It's really a trail that forces people to let go of that purist mentality is what we call it and just be hmm. adaptable to hike what the trail is willing to give you that year so with flipping like when i hiked it in 19 for instance i went to the base of the sierra and then we went to northern california where there was no snow and there was only like 250 miles of trail at that point and this was uh end of june into july that you know, after we had finished the desert, there was 200 miles we could hike that didn't have snow. The entire rest of the trail still had snow. And so we did wow. that and, you know, alternated, like we hiked a week, took a week off, hiked a week, took a week off. Um, and then ultimately by mid-July, things had melted enough in Washington that we could do what's called a flip-flop. So we went up to the 
Canadian border where we had originally figured we would finish. And at that point we were a thousand miles in. And so we started at that border and then we had a straight path back to the Sierra and we just had to skip the parts we already did, but that wasn't too big of a deal by the time we got through there. Huh. Okay. <laughs> so it gets a little more complicated. Like the, uh, the AT, you can pretty much walk straight from one end to the other. There's not the same natural disasters. There's not the same things that would throw you off trail. So that's interesting. I mean, one one of the things that I've that I had in my notes here was reading the warnings that have just gone out for this weekend in the Sierra Nevada for people's roofs collapsing because they've mm-hmm. already had something like fifteen foot of snow and they're expecting another four to seven foot of snow this weekend alone in mm-hmm. high elevations. Like it's just insane. Yeah, um, this year is unprecedented. To be honest, it'll be. The 2023 class does not have an easy road. Uh, I think they can still have a good experience. There's definitely just going to have to be some creative and adaptable trips. Hmm. Yeah, I'm interested in um, all of the the sort of logistics that, that go into that, but it's... Um, yeah, perhaps too granular a conversation for right now. <laughs> Honestly, um, most of the hikers won't even know those logistics until they're right in front of them. Like for us, mm. if you had asked what our strategy was when we went in, we were like, well, we're going to hike the desert and see what happens. And then, you know, we had trail angel rides. We hitched some. We rented cars. There's all kinds of – some people actually just take a month off of trail and let things melt. And I knew people that were from – uh, other countries that didn't want to like waste their trip like they wanted to see what america had and if they couldn't be hiking they wanted to still be exploring so some people like rented cars that they could sleep in and they went and just jumped mm. around all the national parks while they waited for snow to melt so there's some and you know one friend of mine grabbed a bike in i think portland and biked across the country back to pennsylvania so you hiked like a thousand miles hopped on a bike rode the bike home so it's like oh, wow. there's so many cool adventures that you can do. You just have to just have to be flexible. Yeah. So that sort of brings me to the next thing I wanted to speak about was was preparation in general. Um, and I mean, there is so much that to think about, you know, when you think like, OK, I'm going to walk from Mexico to Canada, like all of the different things that have to cross your mind, like the gear involved, you know, food, organization, knowing where you're going, permits, <clears throat> etc. I wonder how many people actually start from a point of having prepared themselves physically. Like I know what you've been doing now um, to a large extent is putting out content on social media and running courses um, for actually preparing your body for the, the undertaking that is hiking, you know, more than two and a half thousand miles. Um, is that a, a common thing? Do people, in your opinion, do people put enough focus on preparing their bodies? Um, yeah, what's your overall impression? You know, it varies because um, there's all these like subsets because, I mean, we're dealing with thousands of people. So there's like sure, bound to sure. be thousands of interests. Um, but, you know, 
especially on internet forums, which I don't recommend. Like <laughs> there's like, there's one great Facebook group for the PCT. It's run by Yogi. Um, and, you know, they do a really good job of moderating and making sure that like experts are getting amplified and getting good advice and letting people ask beginner questions. So aside from that kind of exception, those internet forums can be a real dumpster fire. Um, but I see a lot where someone will be like, I'm, you know, I want to train, I want to be stronger, I can reasonably understand why that would be beneficial to my hike. And then you'll inevitably get people that get on there. And they're like, the only way to train for a hike is to hike. If you can't hike, then just forget it. Or you'll get on shape when you get in trail. And it's like, physiologically, that's not true. <laughs> like, like you can certainly start slow and I would encourage even the most prepared people to start slow. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, hiking is specific to hiking. So like it is definitely part of prep, but from like a getting your bones stronger and getting your tendons more resilient and just endurance, muscle, all of that. There's so many things you can be doing even in a small dose to give yourself an advantage. So I always like die a little bit inside when I see those comments that are like discouraging people from these movements, especially like, you know, look at the people whose houses have 15 feet of snow on them right now. They're not hiking to prepare for this trail. <laughs> so like hiking isn't accessible in the winter to people yeah. all over. And so it almost sets this tone of, well, if you can't hike, you can't be prepared. And it's like, that's mm. not true. And I would argue that you could actually be more prepared potentially, but that's another soapbox. But so, you know, you get a mix, you get those people that are out there and then you get people who train incredibly hard um, and they do well. Sometimes, sometimes they train so hard that they um, then come out hard and they never really gave themselves that recovery. Like they don't taper. So sometimes mm. people run themselves into the wall right before they get on trail, which can sometimes be an issue. Um, and then some people hit that sweet spot where, you know, they, they did a plan, they did progressive loading, they did some hiking, they came out, they listened to their bodies, they went slow. You know, that's, it's, it's just that we all want to land in the normal middle <laughs> and then you get the extremes on both sides of doing nothing and doing way too much. And it's like, the sweet spot exists somewhere in this very feasible center. And I think if yeah. more people understood that they would be more likely to train because they would feel like they don't have to be perfect to be prepared. Sure. Yeah. I love that. You don't have to be pre perfect to be prepared. That's great. Great advice. Um, yeah. I'm interested in, in, you know, so much chat, as I said, revolves around gear. Um, and I think, especially in sort of the seriously long through hikes, the, the sort of ultra light, um, I don't know if you call it a movement, but that's basically seems <laughs> to be more or less the standard these days. I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if that's accurate, actually, but it seems like most people are seem to be moving towards and recommending sort of trail runners and light packs and just just going as light as you can. Mm -hmm. Um would that be your advice? And I'm also interested in how much emphasis you would put on, you know, obviously feet and legs, you would think, uh, I, by the way, tried a bit of your toe yoga with uh, just sitting at my desk this morning, tried a bit of toe yoga, enjoyed that. <laughs> um, but I also saw you things like, 
shoulder exercises and mm-hmm. is it your whole body is there anything you should be focusing on in particular like how do you find that balance between having the right kind of gear and preparing your body in the right way yeah that's easy, a good question. question yeah so i mean realistically injury happens when the load exceeds the capacity of that area so like yeah. uh let's use achilles tendon issues because that's one that most people are familiar with. So, you know, you can do heel raises, you can do things to strengthen your Achilles. And then if you go out and hike well beyond your threshold, or you get a ton of uphill and you're used to training in like Texas, you know, you have suddenly loaded this area much higher than its capacity and you are at a higher risk for injury. So when it comes to ultralight or, you know, regular or ultra heavy, your pack weight, matters but your training relative to your pack weight is more important so if you're going to carry a heavy pack you should be lifting heavy weights prior and and arguably you should be lifting heavy weights if you can even with a light pack because then the higher your capacity is then your relative uh threshold for injury will be lower than that and so or will be higher than that so if you pick an activity it's like the same concept of how we have people that do these extreme things. Now, through hiking already is kind of extreme, but look at people who are running 100 miles. They mm. could not go run 100 miles without getting their body's capacity higher than the ability to run 100 miles or they would get hurt. And so sure. it really, it does break down to kind of being that simple. And so when people are kind of balancing things like budget, um, pack weight and training, you have to sort of, again, find that normal middle where, you know, if you can't afford the lightest gear, you're going to need to train a little harder. So that way you can take that heavy pack and be successful. If you can afford the light gear, you know, you ideally are still going to train, but you are not going to be putting as much stress on your body. So you might get a little more of a forgiving start to your hike. And then hiking itself Mm. is training. So when you get out there, like you are getting stronger each day. The biggest problem is there's just not a lot of recovery on trail. So like when you're training in your house, you're coming home, sleeping in a bed, eating a good dinner, taking a shower, relaxing, you have a balanced day. And then, and you may even take a day off or two. When you get on trail, suddenly we forget (laughs) that taking one to two days off a week when you're training hard is very normal and uh, kind of encouraged. And then, you know, suddenly go two, three weeks before taking a zero, which just means no miles. Mm. Um, And then sleeping on the ground, you know, eating Skittles and stuff like that. You know, we've taken out so much recovery too, that that helps or that doesn't help in terms of making your risk of injuries a bit higher. So all of it is just sort of risk management and finding those sweet spots. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Is there like one thing that you would recommend to, to people to do? Is there any one thing you would recommend people focus on? Walk slower with shorter steps. Huh? That's the most universal tip. Some people that I'll tell that to and they're like, Oh, it actually feels worse when I do that. But they're like the outliers because for the most part, that's going to take pressure off of your joints. It's going to reduce your foot slap. So it's going to make the shins happier, less stress on your knees because you can land softer. 
Um, if you're locking your legs out, like you do when you take a big fast stride, you know, you're putting force through the bones instead of the muscles. And we want to absorb shock rather than jolt it. So typically just reducing speed in the, the size of your steps can go a long way. Um, so does that mean necess- does that mean necessarily taking fewer miles in a day? Or does no. that just mean for walking for more hours in a day? No, just more steps to get there, <laughs> essentially. It's kind of like like okay. with runners, uh, the biggest the biggest initial tweak we make for runners to reduce injury rates is just increasing their cadence because yeah. overstriding and you know that hard landing is a big part of running injuries and through hiking is the most similar to running when it comes to like other sports with overuse injuries. That's the one that's going to correlate the most. And so reasonably deducting an, an activity that has a ton of research, which is running because there's money in running, there's mm. races, there's, you know, footwear, there's everything is geared towards runners mm. through hiking. Although Anybody who has bought kits for through hiking would argue there is definitely a lot of money in through hiking. It's still a very small population. So, you know, mm. I'm working on a few studies and, and trying to gather some data points as I can, as I can, but you know, are we ever going to get big meta analysis and systematic reviews and people studying through hikers? Probably not. So we got to kind of look at the running crowd if we want and military military actually gets funding for Mm. studying. And those are other people walking far with backpacks, but you know, they're certainly not ultralights. So there's even a little, (laughs) a little bit off there too. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah. That is interesting though. Um, The sort of similarities and differences between, between running and through hiking. Um, so in terms of, I mean, I touched on it briefly and I, I'm sure that your answer will be whatever works for you. But do you see that, do you, you know, like ultras all the rage, a wide toe box, um, you know, like a ultra trail runner that's zero drop. And, you know, we're in the footwear game. Obviously, we make a, a footbed that fits perfectly in an ultra mm-hmm. Um do you buy into any of that kind of hype? Do you think that there necessarily is a shoe or a way of, of wearing your footwear that, that is, can set you up for success better than, than any other? I think so. Ultras are very popular. I'm always delicate with how I phrase this. So they are the most common shoe on trail. And because Mm. they're the most common shoe, I think that's why, they're the most commonly worn by injured hikers. Um, so I don't, I can't necessarily be like, Oh, people get injured. Correlation rather than causation. Yeah. It's, but you know, a lot of times with these injuries, there will be relation to the ultra specifically. So changing their shoe is part of it. Um, but then there's so many people that are also successful in ultras that I would never, blanket say do or don't wear ultras or any shoe for that matter because i've seen some crazy shoe choices that like there's people who have i think there's one hiker that's triple crowned in crocs so it's like that is very much <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's oh, very that's much so... to the point of like almost nothing matters <laughs> 
that's so extra to do it. Right. That's, that's going to be a statement, right? Yeah. That's yeah, going to be so. just a big F you to everybody else on the trail. Yeah. You people are ridiculous. So I'm in my Crocs. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of, my opinion on ultras and just footwear in general is kind of like anything. Your body is the most successful in the stressors that it's adapted to. So if you have really tight ankles, right, your body's not adapted to like full range of motion while you're taking steps or like pushing Mm -hmm. down through your heel as you go up a hill. And so if you suddenly wear ultras thinking, Oh, well that'll loosen up my ankle. That's not necessarily the right path to ultras in that sense. Like it would be better to accommodate your limitations before setting out on this kind of a hike and, you know, using these like really minimalist shoes, you know, they do have some research to show that they can increase your foot strength and your ankle strength and all of that. But I look at them more like a piece of gym equipment than your everyday all the time shoe for that purpose. So Mm -hmm. if you want to use minimalist shoes to make your foot and ankle stronger, you should use them intermittently at like a workout until you've built up to it. So people who start in the minimalist shoes having already built sufficient strength to successfully use minimalist shoes are usually successful. And then some of us are just structurally different. Like I can ankle mobilize until I am blue in the face, but I'm not a zero drop person and I don't need to be because there are other shoes that work great for me. So like Hoka's are really popular and they have a rocker bottom. And so that accommodates restrictions in the big toe and the ankle. And so for me, that's great. That works perfect for me, but ultras wouldn't. And so there's a lot of people that you just have to find that sweet spot of what is your anatomy favor? What can you realistically be ready for? And do you even care to be ready for it? Like, do you want to spend months trying to get your foot accommodated to this zero drop mm. minimal assure do you want to just take a shoe with a little bit of drop <laughs> and <Yeah>. be fine <laughs> yeah and so how do you figure that all out i mean can you tell someone that like so, if i were if i'm getting prepared do i go to a physio and say look man how much ankle mobility do i have like what shoes i'm gonna go do this hike what shoes should i wear yeah. I mean, sometimes if, if I'm working with somebody who has an injury, we'd always talk about footwear because I'm mm. familiar with the footwear. And so, you know, we're looking at things like what's your mobility look like? Uh, what's your strength look like? What's your gait look like? And then trying to find the right footwear based on that. And, you know, it, it can depend on the right specialist. So like, like personally, it's just something that I am interested in because it's in the crowd that I'm in. Um, but maybe not every physio is really very versed on footwear. And then mm. maybe it's a podorthist or something at a shoe store that actually might mm. give you the best advice. So sometimes there's not really a gatekeep in terms of the best provider to help you find the shoe. So the person who can help you find the best shoe may <laughs> vary, um, but it's helpful if they do know the through hiker demands. And then uh, like the basics that you're looking for is the the midfoot stability so like controlling pronation or supination if that's something that is a factor for you um mobility restrictions like in your big toe or your ankle um and then just the amount of padding that's comfortable so sometimes people will like the the space of the ultra which i wish more shoes honestly would adopt that wide toe box because it is 
nice to let your toes splay. And sometimes like a wide shoe will still accomplish that without having that kind of signature ultra look. Um, but the wider toe box is good. And then the people who will do like the lone peaks will then say like, I, you know, like the shoe, but I just couldn't take feeling every rock on my foot. So they would switch to like the Olympus or the Hoka. So they have more cushion mm. and then that in turn would feel better for them. So sometimes it's trial and error. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so I guess there's no, obviously there's no simple, there's no simple answer, but other than do what, do what works for you and what feels right for you. And don't let an internet forum bully you into thinking that there's one right way of doing it and that everything else is inferior or, um, uneducated. Pretty much, yeah. You can almost like yeah. insert that into all realms of preparing for something. Don't let the internet bully you into things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, <clears throat> so, is there is there any one sort of ailment or injury that you that you encounter more than any anything else? So the overarching most common injury like class would be just tendinopathies. So foot, ankle, knee, hip, just all the major tendons. That's hmm. what I see the most. So tendinopathies are, again, just that acute overload compared to the capacity of the tendon. So that's where like training increases your capacity. So it's harder to get that acute overload. Um, but you could even, you could have perfect training and you could do everything right. And sometimes you'll still get, you know, just an overload in that area and then get some kind of inflammation in that tendon. Um, so that's definitely mm -hmm. what I see the most, which does make sense with the nature of an extremely repetitive sport. And so I guess like coming back to sort of where you are and where you started and your sort of personal experience I wonder whether when you meet people now, are you tempted to give them sort of uh, uh, Dr. Morgan Brosnan advice or are you tempted to give them noodles slash blaze advice? So like, are you telling people, <laughs> um, you know, make sure you stretch every day when you, when you set up camp or are you telling people things like, you know, uh, Make sure you go and check out this one particular site or, uh, you know, don't forget to journal along the way or <laughs> whatever. Like, how do, you, how do you deal with those types of interactions with, with yeah. people at this stage? You know, I think because it's such an immersive I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Immersive career, immersive position that I'm in. Uh, the mm. two are just so one in the same that it's mm. both, um, you know, sometimes on telehealth calls at the end, I'll be talking about like, Oh, like make sure while you're in Tahoe, you like check out this coffee shop or whatever, or like connecting people to trail angels that I already know. Or, um, this year I've been talking a lot about like what it's like to hike in a high snow year. Cause that was my personal experience. And then, um, just different things of from my hiking. And that's where like my, hike on the PCT and being a through hiker is so 
important to being an effective physio that I can't imagine separating the two, like being Mm. just a physio out here without that background. I don't think I could be as effective because I can't a understand the emotional and the physical tolls, but also like, like, Hey, when you hit this section, there's going to be a lot of this. This is how that relates to your injury and what we can do about Mm. it. And then when you get to this town, you're not going to find this resource that you might need. So you're going to need to order it before you get there because there's only this post office and some small convenience store. So don't expect to go there and find new shoes. Um, It's just all so intermingled. (laughs) Well, awesome. Um, I think that's, it's just super interesting and super cool how you've, um, let this sort of passion that you developed um, carve out, well, not let anything, you've carved out a space for yourself through your passion for for um, the community and the trail and everything that goes with that. Um, yeah, I think it's fantastic. I think it's super, super sort of inspiring to a lot of people, I'm sure, um, to see the way that that you are using not only your education, but your experience in a specific time and place uh, and in a new way as well, something that hasn't been done before. It's very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say it's it's exciting to be able to do something for the first time because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 30 and most businesses and brick and mortars and ideas and companies, it's like everything has already been started, you know, so it's so hard to blaze a brand new path and you know like I couldn't invent physio (laughs) and I couldn't invent the hiking um so it's I'm always really fortunate and appreciative that I was able to combine things to create something that didn't exist before that's pretty Mm. cool this in today's day for sure unique and and cool very very cool I'm a little bit jealous to be honest very nice. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, thanks very much, Morgan. Um, I don't know if you have anything else that you would like to mention or add or speak to. I will say, just in the, the context of this being a soul podcast, I do recommend Soul in Souls um, the majority of the time. I found them to be very universal for hikers in the sense that the molding to the foot is really helpful. And uh, I've had a lot of people have a lot of success with them. And I appreciate how reachable this company is and kind of like just the fact that you accept returns even after insoles are trimmed and, you know, have this discount code and that helps people with the budget. I mean, there's so many stops that, you know, we're not, hikers aren't getting that kind of outreach and support. So it's, it's been really cool to learn about this company and use it for people. It definitely helps. Great. Awesome. Love to hear it. Yeah. That's, um, that's what we're all about is, uh, yeah, helping, helping people like that. And we get a similar sort of, you know, I don't, I don't ever get to, uh, myself, a connection with someone on a trail who I'm helping personally, but 
we do, yeah, there's nothing better than getting a similar level of satisfaction when we sort of hear from people like you or hear read reviews coming in from people who've um, been able to do things that they love, like hiking or whatever it might be because of using our products. So yeah, appreciate the, appreciate the shout out. So that's it, folks. Thanks again to Morgan for joining me. And don't forget, you can get 10% off any products on yoursoul.com when you enter the code BLAZE10 at checkout. Thanks for listening.